Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 Division I women's teams heading into the 2023 college tennis season. Of course, if you missed any of our previous previews, all you have to do is scroll down in your Great Shot podcast feed. Not only have we covered teams 10 through 8 on the women's side, we've done the same on the men's. Well, have episodes for you every Tuesday through Friday till the start of the college tennis season. With that in mind, we get into today's preview. Well, we'll be talking, let's try that English again, where we will be talking about the number seven Pepperdine Waves. And if we're previewing another top 10 Division I women's college tennis team, you know who's joining me on this show to help me do so. You know him best as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, a longtime listener and contributor now here at Cracked Rackets, a returning champion and my dear friend, it's John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Are you as nervous for this Pepperdine preview as I am? No, <laughs> this one <laughs> clearly looms over you uh, in a way it does not me uh, in talking about our preseason number one from last season, the Pepperdine Waves. No, I'm, I'm ready to talk about this team. Yeah, I wear my mistakes for quite a bit of time. And certainly, if you listen to our preview podcast last year, we had Pepperdine not only as our number one team entering the year, we had them as a resounding number one. Some of us, both of us, I think we can throw ourselves both under the bus here, may have proclaimed that team with the talent they possess, the experience they brought in, had the potential to be an all-time sort of college tennis team. And look, no news for you to start today's show. We can get right into this Pepperdine season. As you look at the waves in 2022, Pepperdine ultimately for the year 23-7. and Now, they go undefeated in conference play. They win the conference. Of course, they do qualify for the national indoors. They ultimately reach the final site of the NCAA tournament. Teams knocked out in a thrilling 4-3 quarterfinal match against North Carolina, of course going into that North Carolina match. This Pepperdine team maybe played their best match of the season, a 4-0 win in the round of 16 Super Regional over Miami. (sighs) Jay, I don't even know where to begin as I ask you, did this team exceed expectations, underperform, or get things just right in 2022? Because certainly compared to our expectations entering the year, if, you know, they were not an all-time team. There's no denying that fact. That said, 
if you actually followed the ins and outs, the injuries, the things that happened with this Pepperdine team through the course of the year, where are you on this question? I think it's pretty resounding underperformed expectations, regardless of whether this was, if you had told us this when we were doing our number one pod, if you had told us this at any point during the season, it always felt like they were going to get it back on track. And we can talk about that NCAA run because I think one of the major disappointments in this season is that it felt like they did have it back on track. That NCAA run, that you know, round of 32 match against USC, which we talked about in the USC episode, they were dominant, right? And then they were dominant again in that 8-9 matchup with Miami to make it to the final site. And unfortunately, their season ends in a 4-3 match against North Carolina. Patch Galeva unfortunately goes down with a pretty serious injury in doubles. She cannot play singles. Match was played indoors. Look, if things go a little differently, you know, who knows how that the match turns out. So that's the season already less than expectations, I think, ends on sort of a clearly a disappointing but also a sour note given um, given the injury. Well, I want to provide some perspective about this Pepperdine program and what they've been able to accomplish under pair because I think that perspective is important, big picture. You look for this Pepperdine team. Obviously, Pepperdine men's and women's side was one of the original powerhouse programs in college tennis, and this was a team that from 1988 through 1999 made the round of 16 or better in every NCAA tournament that they played. I think there was one regionals thrown in um, in 1996, but I don't really know what regionals is alluding to there in the record book. The point is, after that, from 2000 onward, there was not a single round of 16 appearance until 2016 in Per Nilsson's second year at the helm. You look for them since 2016, quarterfinals, quarterfinals, round of 16, quarterfinals, runner-up in 2021, now quarterfinals last year. This program is where Pear wants it to be. And there is no denying if you're saying is if you're grading the hiring and the tenure of Per Nilsson, it has to be an A, right? There's no denying that fact. This team is now in the mix at all the big events, case in point, semifinals at the National Indoors last year, a really fun 4-2 loss to Oklahoma, a match Pepperdine absolutely could have won. And then, of course, the 4-3 loss in the quarterfinals to UNC uh, in a 4-3 manner. That said, that perspective in mind, there's no doubt last year was an underperformance. That team was good enough to win an NCAA tournament. And who knows, if that UNC Pepperdine match stays outdoors, maybe they get through that match. Maybe they beat Texas the next round, even though that match ultimately played indoors as well. The only reason you would call it an underperformance, Jay, because national semifinal, national quarterfinals are ridiculous results, but it's because this team was that good. And it felt like runner-up in 2021, all this quarterfinal success, that that was the moment for this program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had talked, you went through the record book there. I mean, they were uh, knocking on the door for so many uh, of the years most recently, right? Round of 16 quarterfinal appearances. And in 2021, they broke through. Right. They make that final. Um, they bring in a team that is much improved. And then this past season, they bring in uh, transfers in Janice Chen, in grad transfer Vicky Flores. 
and you're going, wow, this is an incredibly talented team on paper. They have all the pieces to go one step further in the national championship match. And so to do anything less than that, and just the way in which they kind of petered out at different points throughout the season. Yeah, it was a clear underperformance for this uh, Pepperdine squad. That said, just quickly to go through, because spoiler alert, there aren't that many players on the roster for us to talk about today. So we have a little bit more time here at the front. Let's play a game of good loss, bad loss. Just going through their uh, seven losses on the year, because 23 and seven, I think actually undersells how solid this team was. First match of the year, 4-3 against Cal. It was at home, so if you want to call it a bad loss, I'm not going to knock you, but I don't think it was a bad loss. I think it was a bad loss. I think it set the tone for what was going to be a tumultuous season for Pepperdine. This was a shock out of the gate, and to do that at home against an untested and young Cal team, this was a bad loss. They lost three through six singles in straight sets. Maybe it, I It wasn't super correct. close, yeah. Yeah, that was tough. All right, National Indoors 4-2 Oklahoma. Fine. No, that that was a great fine. match. Yeah, that was fine. At Ohio State 5-2, that one was the tough one. That was bad. Yeah, at Cal 4-3, at Oklahoma State 4-3, at Oklahoma 4-2, UNC 4-3. I mean, again, a lot of close matches that just didn't break their way. And maybe that's the price you pay to the tennis gods because for them to go on the run they did at the NCAA tournament to beat UCLA, to beat UNC, to be on the precipice of beating Texas, sometimes the tennis gods come down and they laugh the other way. I mean, you look at some of the wins Pepperdine had on the year, a lot of 4-0s on their resume. The only 4-3s I see, they won 4-3 at Michigan, 4-3 at UCLA. They won the blowouts, but you're right. That yeah, but how many of those are in, in conference? No, you're absolutely. It's like when they beat you, they crush you. Um, but the tight one, I mean, last year, when they beat you, like they really flexed their muscles. The talent gap was so large. Chen and Brodus and Czar were racing to wins. And but that's, that's apples to oranges. I mean, they're going to no, no, do no. that. I'm saying I agree with you. This is yeah. me saying you are correct for what it's yeah. worth. Okay. Yeah, because you're right. It's like the stats were padded. When they didn't have the talent to match them, they were going to beat you. Yes. It was the close matches that ultimately broke against them. And, I mean, look, we were big fans here at Cracked Rackets of Shiori Fukuda. She was extraordinarily kind to us over the years and feels like the cool things we got to do national indoors-wise really overlapped with her career. She was excellent last year. I know the record 13-8 dual match play doesn't seem outstanding, but 12-6 and six at the n- number one spot. She was a rock through much of the year. Just felt like she played more matches than just about anyone else. Obviously, though, going to be very difficult to replace her. You lose a Vicky Flores, who not the greatest year in singles, no doubt, 6-7. and seven in dual match play, but was a piece you counted on in the lineup. That said, uh, also they lose Taya Pachkaleva. Of course, shouldn't forget that as she transfers out of Pepperdine. Imachkane, I suppose, gone as well. But I'll tell you this, as we turn the page towards 2023, the returners Pepperdine brings back, very very impressive because we talked about their pieces and in moments, the talents they had just superiorly exceeding or superior to their opponents, exceeding them. Clearly a lot of that talent comes back here, Jay 
in 2023. And obviously, I think the name all of us are watching for to start the year is probably sophomore Savannah Brodus, who last season 20-5 and five in dual match play. She won her last 11 singles matches. She and Janice Chen, 17-1 and one at the number two doubles position. They reached the NCAA semifinals. You look for Brodus here in the fall, 10-2 and two overall in singles play. Janice Chen has been outstanding, and we're going to get to her in a second. But there were moments, and this is where being at these events is very helpful in doing this job. There were moments at the NCAA tournament, Jay. You and I were talking about it. I don't want to name other names, but people in the know were talking about it. There were legitimate moments where Savannah Brothers looked like the best player in Champaign. And given her 10-2 fall, I think that's where we have to start the returners conversation. Yeah, I mean, she had an outstanding freshman year, right? I think capped off with that win over Fiona Crawley in the NCAA quarterfinal, which is what really got people talking. Fiona Crawley goes on to make the NCAA semifinal, basically in in the individuals that same week. It was a shame that neither Brodus nor Janice Chen uh, qualified for the NCAA singles tournament. And yes, she has an excellent fall. I mean, only two losses, both to, to quality players, Vidmanova of Georgia, Carol Lee of Georgia Tech, I mean, the upside is, is so clear, right? I mean, I think I told this story before, but that match against Crawley played indoors. They had the, you know, the juiced up radar guns, I will say, but her serve was clocking in there at 115. Um, you know, she was excellent and she continues to be excellent in the fall. Um, I have no concerns or doubts about her heading into the spring. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And the thing that, I think I why I wanted to bring her up most is when you watch her play, it's a combination of things. One, the weapon she possesses. Starts with the serve, both wings, forehand, backhand, her comfort level moving forward. Her going from number five singles to number two singles is not a concern for me. I think she has the level to play that high in the lineup. And again, 20-5 and overall in dual match play last year. Sometimes it is a numbers game. How do you replicate those wins? Honest to God, if she rips off another 20-5 and season, Jay, in a top three singles position, I'm not going to be shocked. Like I think she has that sort of talent, a remarkable athlete. The first step, the fluidity, all the She had this one track down in the doubles they were playing. I think it was in the final uh, of the fall Nats, her and Janice Chen, who, by the way, went 13-1 and once again during the fall, partnered together. She had this one track down of like a shanked drop volley that somehow she got her racket on. And it was just one of those moments, now that I've racked up the 10,000 hours of watching tennis I have, where it's just like normal people don't move like that. And I do think she's that sort of athlete. She's someone you absolutely circle the pop. And by the way, she may not have to play the number one position because Janice Chen has been that good. And it started last year when she went 21-2 and overall in dual match play, won her last 15 decisions, ultimately working her way up to the number one spot, 9-1 and in fall play here this year. Of course, an NCAA single semifinalist back in her freshman year in 2021. I love this top two before we even get to the rest of the team. And by the way, there are other players who might be factoring into that top two equation. But for me, I think this is where it starts is with these two. It does. And it's fitting that they're a very successful doubles pair, right? Uh, Because it it does start with these two. They're the anchors. It's the new Leahy Fela. (laughs) 
that's a good analogy. Thela transferred as well. Uh, Chen transferred from Oregon. Sure. Um, yeah, it was an interesting season for Janice Chen, right? She comes off of her freshman season, like you mentioned, making the NCAA semifinals, transfers to Pepperdine, doesn't play that much uh, in the fall, and starts much lower in the lineup than I think a lot of us were expecting. Starts, you know, down it at four, right? And, and played some matches at five, I think. And then ov- makes her way all the way up to number one by the time the NCAAs uh, were happening. She was clearly clicking. She's carried that momentum into the fall. You know, she's been able to play some, you know, pro events as well, making the second round of the 60K. You know, you talk about uh, Savannah Brodus's power. I mean, the Janice Chen forehand. So right? can I give you a college comp for Janice Chen? Not in terms of level of success, but game style. Reminds me of Stevie in the way they just go after mm. the forehand. And then obviously you're going to see more slice on the backhand wing. Yeah. But if you give Janice time on that forehand, you're running. Like you're just now behind in the point. It's that sort of weapon. Yeah. I like her forehand better than Stevie's. Uh, uh, all right. <laughs> I mean, it, I it's think it's close. Like if you, com- it's, you're comparing apples to oranges to, sure. to quote you. Um, but it's not – it's a fun argument to have. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, she's a, an, an excellent player to watch. You see how she and Savannah Bro just make an excellent doubles team. Um, again, another player that I have no doubts about moving into the spring. And, and this pair will really – Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. This pair will, will really be the anchor for this team um, and will likely have to anchor those top spots in the lineup. You know, I think I'm afraid that the first eight minutes of the show, Pete's going to send me a really mean text and be like, you've betrayed my trust, Alex. I'll be like, no, Pete, I swear. And then I hope he gets just, you know, underperformance. I I don't think he's going to love that description, even if he may not disagree with it. But then I hope he listens to us calling Janice Chen's forehands like better than Stevie's. And then his faith will be resurrected. So I'm just hope he gets to minute 17 (laughs) before he fires off the text. Um, Yeah. It's a really good duo, and it's too – I know Brodus is a sophomore, but I just feel like it's two known and proven commodities. I have no – outside of injuries, which happen to anyone, I have no concerns about these two's tennis. Like I just know they are that good. They've shown it, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing them compete. But look, why this Pepperdine team, despite only having six players on the roster – Entering, it's Wednesday, December 14th when we're recording this. They have six players on the roster. How do they get to number seven with only six players? It's because I don't have a lot of questions about any of the players they do currently have on the roster. And the next one I want to talk about is not Lisa Zar, who I think is another proven commodity who we'll get to in a second. But I want to talk about Bunyawe Timchaiwat because Timchaiwat is someone they picked up. And I know it's a new addition. Well, I, guess I know, you're, you're switching gears on us here. Yeah, fine. You're right. Let's leave it in, but let's go to Czar. Again, I don't have questions about Czar either. Like, and you look for Lisa last season, 18-5 and five overall in dual match play, 14-3 and three at the number two spot now. Does she have the biggest weapons in the world? No. Is it a freaking nightmare to see Lisa Czar on the other side of the court knowing, all right, it's going to take at least two and a half hours, win or lose. That's how long I'm going to be out there. And by the way, if I do leave a forehand short and I let her rope a forehand around the court when she has time to set the feet, 
No one makes the, my coach used to call it the loop, you know, that circle behind the player as they load on the forehand. No one's is quite as pronounced as Lisa Zars when she slingshots uh, that forehand around the court. I mean, the prospect of Zar playing two or three, once again, maybe even four, if Tim, we'll get to Tim Chaiwat, I suppose, in a second. You have any doubts about Lisa Zar other than the fact she didn't play this fall? No, because she played other tournaments this fall, right? She didn't yeah. play, you know, in the college ranks, but she made two 25K semifinals this summer. She played, you know, the ITF circuit um, at the 60Ks in the fall. So, no, she's been playing. Uh, you know, she's one player that did make a big leap last season. I think they probably weren't expecting to have to have her at number two singles, right? So she makes that leap from the lower half of the lineup all the way up to two. I think she overperformed in that position. Talk about, you know, an iron woman, if you will, in terms of going out. And I mean, she's going to be uh, a beast to play. And you're going to be out there for hours on end. And she makes the quarterfinals uh, of the NCAA singles tournament last year. Zero doubts about her. Um, I really like her if she slots into the three position. That's brutal for anyone. She is Fiona Crawley point nine. They're both juniors. You look for, I mean, Crawley's lost two dual matches in her career. Lisa Zar, who went nineteen and zero during a streak uh, in uh, in twenty twenty one, her I suppose second freshman season or second year, whatever it was. Yeah, Zar's lost like five total or like six total dual matches throughout the course of her career. She has been that reliable in this Pepperdine lineup. So I feel really good about her as a returner. And by the way, I feel pretty good about Nikki Redelick at the bottom of the lineup as well, which is where I think she's going to end up. Redelick 10-4 in dual match play last year, 8-3 and three at the number six spot. Now, of course, the difference being Redelick now a junior, uh, that much more experienced. Again, rock solid on both wings. Again, if she was your two, your three, maybe I'd be a little bit more concerned, but I don't think they're ever going to be in a position where it's Nikki Redelick losing them a match at six, and that's the difference. Well, that was the difference this past season. Uh, you know, she was 10 yeah, and four. Yeah, but it's a year later. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, she was 10 and four. Those four matches all came in those heartbreaking losses at Cal, at Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, UNC, and the NCAA quarterfinal. Karma was not on Nikki Redelick's side. This year, so maybe the tables turn. Well, which uh, is why. So I'm very glad you bring those results up because that's exactly it. You can't fake those experiences, and she got all of them in yep. 2023, and that's why I would project moving forward a little bit higher because she did talk about a year for Nikki Redlick. Fourteen, you know, only 14 total results, but boy, did they all feel like they had a little bit more gravitas uh, than normal. So again. If you're bringing back a four of Brodus, Chen, Czar, and then a, a very high usage, lower half of the singles line of player in Redelic, that's a good core to bring back. And then, oh, please. The only thing to add about Redelic is she has not played since July. Okay. She has, didn't play any college events, doesn't play any ITF events. We have not seen her at all. Uh, which is unusual. She has played the fall in the past. So I don't know if she is out right now with an injury, uh, but I that is one question mark going into the spring. We have After not seen her play. After my time on the Pepperdine campus, maybe she just got stuck at the top of the hill. Like, it's a big hill. That's a tough college climb to have to climb that hill every day. A lot of skip classes, uh, one can imagine. But with that in mind, again, those four come back. 
You mentioned the Redelic injury. That will factor into some of our concerns as we look for Pepperdine. But let's talk about the new additions they do bring in because, again, they bring in a couple of good ones. And it starts with Bunyawi Timchaiwat. Timchaiwat, a multi-time All-American. Excuse me, a one-time All-American. That was back uh, as a junior when she was at Oklahoma State. Now, she transferred from Oklahoma State to San Diego State last year. She went a perfect 13-0 in dual match singles play. Ultimately made the second round of the NCAA tournament. Finished her senior season there, her fourth year, I suppose I should refer to it. Ranked number 52. Uh, uh, in the singles rankings, you bring in Tim Chaiwat, a fifth-year player, proven commodity, has had pro success as well, been ranked inside as high as number 410 in the WTA singles rankings, undefeated again in dual match singles play last year. And you're not going to be asking her, perhaps, to play the number one spot. You're not even going to perhaps be asking her to play the number two spot, Jay. But if she has to play it, She's capable of it. Like, this is a top three lineup edition. It could be. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the transfer from Oklahoma State to San Diego State was uh, a very strange one. Uh, it's good to see her here at Pepperdine. It, you know, she did not play much this fall, only four and two. I don't really know what to make of both of their grad transfers who both come in as members now of the three school club. Uh, they'll both be competing in their in their third school. I feel a little burned by the Vicky Flores of it all sure. last season where, you know, you had a player multi-time All-American used to playing the top of the lineup come in and just not have that level of, of success no matter where you find them again is not saying it's going to replicate in the exact same way, but I feel burned. I've talked about this in the past around my fifth year uh, senior theory. I just have no idea what to expect. The difference for me is that she transferred once and had success right away. And so we've seen her be able to acclimate herself right away in the dual match season. Someone who made a couple of quarterfinals on the pro circuit earlier uh, in the summer as well. I understand more of the concerns about Campana because yep. when you look for Campana, one and one overall, obviously in play here in the fall. Now, for those who don't know of Carolyn Campana coming over from Wake Forest and Vanderbilt last season, she finished the season ranked number 45 in the ITA singles rankings, played number one for Wake Forest. Now, you know, again, playing number one in the ACC last year talk about the reps she was able to get see all the players of the world from yep. the moras to the navarros to the who was playing one for nc state last year jada daniels of the world and you're not going to ask that player to play number one single certainly throughout the course of the year so on paper jay i mean this is someone who was an all-american in the past, in her career. Again, you're adding two All-Americans. It's certainly going to be a test of your theory. It definitely is. And I should say, I feel much better about Tam Chai Wat than I do about Campania um, as it relates to my theory. Uh, sure. Um, so we shall see. Uh, you know, on paper, they have six excellent players. They are third in Power 6 UTR. So that's really strong. The flip side of this is they have six players and they only have six players on the roster. And, you know, they had uh, Jenna DeFalco come in 
she's now off the roster. You mentioned Amachkini. She's off the roster. So I think sitting here today, it's just really hard to have a lot of faith in this team, given the current roster makeup, given some of the questions that you might have about the grad transfers, about maybe Nikki Redelick not playing. I think everyone thinks there's going to be a new addition in January. They're like, there has to be. But I have no idea who that person is and how good they're going to be. Well, I'm glad you broke it down and we can go even more granular than that. What's the strength of this team? The strength is if they're healthy and everyone's playing their best, they have the third best power six UTR. They have that much talent. They might be favored at the number one spot with Chenner Brodus. They might be favored at the number two spot with that other player. Certainly, Lisa Zara right up there with the Duke number three. Pepperdine number three, Duke number three, as valuable of a players are going to find. Pepperdine number four, if it's Tim Chaiwat, an All-American yeah. at the four spot, Campania at the number five spot. Again, are you ever going to love Redelick? Maybe not as much when you get to the tippy-top teams, but they might be favored at the first five single spots. And I know last year doubles was outside of Chen and uh, Brodus tough for the Waves, but they ride with Chen and Brodus, who certainly looked like the best doubles team throughout much of the fall. You know the – like, again, if this team is healthy – and the best version of themselves with the experience they had, Jay, and the seeming swing of the pendulum perhaps breaking back in their favor from a luck perspective. If the six are healthy, they can beat anyone, right? Yeah, on any given day, those six can beat anyone playing their best. Absolutely. And that's why they have to be considered a top 10 team because if you have that sort of ceiling where it's like, wait, no, like – Maybe you could beat North Carolina on the right day, which, again, Brodus, Chen, Tim Chaiwat, Czar, they have a day. Like, they're all capable of playing that top 10 level of tennis. So that's their biggest strength. But yes, the elephant in the room that we have yet to fully address, the biggest concern from this team. Honestly, maybe not in conference play, but at the national indoors, at the NCAA tournament, they are an injury away from disaster. Like, so let's be realistic. Do you think they could win the conference with only five players? Yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, San Diego. If two is... of them are Chen and Brodus, you think you win one doubles, you have to win two doubles, and then maybe you can do it? To me, it kind of depends on who the player is, okay. right? Because. I don't want to throw out names, but, yeah. you know, if your player at six gets injured. Well, it can't be Brodus or Chen. Exactly. If Brodus yeah. or Chen get injured, you're screwed. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much what it comes down to. But, you know, it doesn't even need to be an injury. Like, yeah. we haven't gotten into their schedule yet, which we should because it's super fun. But come on, like, match in, match out, weekend after weekend. You just can't do it with six players. No, it's, it's too difficult. And... You know, again, there's going to be an injury. It happens to every team at every point of the season. And certainly there's still time for that late edition. You do feel like a late edition has to be coming, right? They can't be rolling with six for the duration of this season. But obviously the clock is ticking. Now, you mentioned that schedule. We'll get there in a second. But of the six names we have, let's just lock them in. What do you see the lineup looking like kickoff weekend? Uh, 
Yeah, I, I think you already said through. It's one Chen, two Brodus, three Czar, four Tum Chaiwat, five Campania, six Redelec. I agree. I also think Chen and Brodus stay together at the number one spot because, again, you feel like you're up 1-0 in the doubles point whenever you have them on the court, right? No, or maybe they'll play two like last year. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll find a way to sneak it in. But look, to your point, why is six such a dangerous proposition for this team? Because if they don't have a full roster, there are going to be opportunities for losses. I mean, I said Brett Macy put together my favorite schedule on the men's side. Per Nilsson, this Pepperdine Waves team, shout out to you. This is round of applause, the best schedule I have seen to date on the women's side. Simply put, is is spectacular. Now, kickoff weekend, Pepperdine, going to be the favorites as they host Memphis, Columbia, Clemson, after that, I mean, at Stanford prior to the kickoff weekend, which of or the kickoff event, which they hope, uh, excuse me, after the kickoff event, but prior indoors, to, yeah. yeah, indoors. They also are at Cal the weekend before the kickoff weekend. That's the home and home from last year. Then after the national indoors, at Florida, at UCF, Michigan coming to town. The next day, Oklahoma State coming to town. They've got a weekend where they've got UCLA at home, at USC. The or That same week, Ohio State coming to Malibu. They're then taking Oklahoma at home at the end of March, sneaking in another Cal battle in the beginning of April as well. So again, those known conference matches. Cal twice, Stanford, Florida, UCF, Michigan, Oklahoma State. UCLA, USC, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and that's outside of any success they have in the national indoor event. That is a schedule, Jay. Yeah, and it's it's back to back to back to back. I mean, it's just a murderous row, you know, from national indoors onward. And then they kind of close it out with their conference. I mean, it's... Listen to this week's stretch. In eight total days, they play Michigan, Oklahoma State, UCLA, USC. In eight days. If you want to extend it to 11 days, they throw Ohio State in for a fifth match. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And this is what we love to see in college tennis. I mean, this is... It's incredible. It's fun stuff. And, you know, it helps that Pepperdine is in um, the WCC and is looking for these matches and helps that people don't mind going to Malibu for a weekend and they can exactly get- worth noting four of the five this year after they were on the road for much of last season, the Oklahoma trip, the Ohio state Michigan trip, a yeah. lot of these teams coming to Malibu this year. Yeah. And who hates that, right? You can also yeah. schedule a, a USC, a UCLA in that same run. So uh, it's super fun, but you know, to our point, you're just not able to do that with six players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are opportunities for a lot of losses to pile up, right? In eight days, if someone's out, even if someone's just out sick, right? It doesn't even need to be an injury. I don't want to overemphasize the only having six players because there has to be a world where a seventh comes, but it's weird. And it's, I think, a testament to like the the COVID and the the grad transfers and just like the roster management that has made a lot of coaches jobs very difficult, but we've certainly never been in a position where a top 10 team on the women's side has six players going into a month out from, from match play. 
Absolutely. By the way, in case their schedule wasn't tough enough, I mentioned the home and home with Cal, home and home with UCLA as well. They get them twice on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, why isn't this team higher? As much as we love all six of their players, it's only six players. That fact can't be emphasized enough. You can't play, how many matches was that? Two, four, plus the streak of five. They're going to play at least 12 top 20 teams, top 25 teams throughout the course of the year. You're asking your team not to be injured in at least 12 of the matches you play, plus the NCAA tournament. Like, you're an injury away from disaster. That's what it keeps coming back to. If you have only five players, you lose a doubles flight right away. You better sweep both of the doubles. And then if you lose that doubles point, you need to win four out of five. Not four out of six, four out of the five singles matches that you play. As much talent as they have, that is a tough ask of anyone. And again, that's why you just figure there have to be at least one or two players. Even if they're not the highest level contributors, just one or two players who can fill out the end of this roster. And if there are, we will, I'm sure, have a leading segment of whatever episode that is on discussing who they may be. But with that said, any final thoughts before we make our predictions? Well, it's just kind of rude not to release your player before we do your pod. Yeah, Gabe <laughs> like, Diallo, set the tone for everyone. Come on I now. I mean, it's it's the giving season. So I'm, you know, it's, it's disappointing that that didn't happen. But, you know, I expect that we will see something. It's just really a question of like the caliber of, of that player on how on how much that moves, um, moves the impact. So, yeah. Again, we uh, it's probably because we said they underperformed, so they didn't want to give us any extra information. Yeah, um, well, and you know they're just listening to this knowing they have some ace in their seat. I know, and coming. they want to make us look foolish for a second straight year, yeah. um, which is why Pepperdine, always fascinating. Always enjoy <laughs> discussing them. All right, again, that schedule is fascinating. They could just as easily go 10-2 and two through that stretch as they could 6-6 six and six or 4-8 and eight if things break poorly. With that said, let's – talk predictions for this team let's start with the national indoors how do you see them faring Ooh, uh you know i think it'll be i think they'll win like one match there um i anticipate a tougher go it is indoors it's not where this team thrives i, I think based on what we know now of these six players redlick campania feel like open questions to me on what their form will be like there I think that could be maybe tough sledding. See, I think that's an event where they have a lot of success and they ultimately make the semis because it is just a group that's going to be ready to compete together right off the bat because it's just a lot of known pieces. Every player in their lineup has played a college tennis match before, all of them with significant stakes, I would say, as well. I think they do really well there. The problem is, again, if there's an injury there or something goes awry in March, things can go downhill pretty quickly. And so I ask, are they going to be a top eight seed, Jay? I don't think so. This is tough. It's and, tough. And the reason I say that is they have scheduled impeccably. Yeah. But they also did that last season. And they were hanging on by a thread to get that eight seed over Miami. And so – they will have to have a strong performance at indoors when make it to the semifinals. Like you talk about to probably be a top eight seed. It's going to be really tough. I have 15 projected top 25 battles on their hands. Here's the thing. If they win eight of those, they're going to be a top eight seed. 
especially if they get some higher ranked wins, they beat like an Oklahoma or an SC or, you know, again, one of those Big Ten teams, let's say, does run the table in the Big Ten, then one of their points is going to be higher. You get a couple shots at Cal and UCLA, so any win losses help yourself. The opportunities are there. There's no denying that. I say they sneak in an eight seed in anticipation of a December surprise coming from one of these coaches. And if they do that, I said I'm sticking to the rankings. I have them getting to the quarterfinals. Do you? I don't. You say round of 16? I do. Yeah, I say they miss out on the eight seed. Going on the road to to get it done to advance is they don't do it. Who is the team that's filling in the gap? Have we said them in our top 10 already? I have. Virginia? No, I have USC in the quarterfinal. USC is the quarterfinal that replaces them. All right, I'm going to go Pepperdine with the promise. Here's the thing. If they get to the quarterfinals, it means they found a couple extra pieces, and it's not six players on the roster. And if it's not six players on the roster and they found a couple of pieces, this team's upside is that high. Like, they could be back in the semifinals or in another 4-3 battle with whomever higher, the higher-seeded quarterfinal matchup that they play is. You know, we talked about this with Duke. It's funny. This team's the antithesis of Duke. Duke has tons of options, known commodities. We only know the six for Pepperdine, but, man, it's a really fun six. I think that they're upside. They are a tier. I mean, we said this last pod, but let's establish it again. If Pepperdine wins the national championship, it's not shocking, is it? It just means everything clicked. Yeah, I, we are firmly in this tier now. We're like, shock, no. Surprise for some, yes. But it's it's within the realm of possibilities. All right. I'm going to say Pepperdine quarterfinals. Final word goes to you. Well, I was just going to add, particularly because they're coming back this year to Orlando, where they had so much magic in 2021 the good vibes there. So they'll want to make it back to Orlando uh, and see if they can um, repeat the magic and take it one step further. All right. Fair enough. Well, there it is. Number seven, Pepperdine. I say semifinals indoor quarterfinals of the NCAA tournament. Jay says round of 16 NCAAs one and two at the national indoors. With that said, we'll be back next Tuesday with our number six team as our countdown of the top 10 division one women's college tennis teams heading into the 2023 season continues. Of course, if you're looking for our men's preview, tune in every Wednesday and Friday, Chris Hallioris and myself breaking down our top 10 men's teams, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for the of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. With that said, John J. Parsons, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show i hope i wasn't too negative on no. Pepperdine here we were so positive they're seven on last and we year. just said they're in the national championship conversation they definitely are um i'm excited to see these play i mean savannah bros and janice chan are some of the more exciting players to watch so i'm looking forward to this uh to this season it's just going to be full of surprises absolutely well with that said then for the fantastic john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point and from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone 